Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. Born March 1959 in Minnesota in the United States of America, we first saw our guest in the early 1980s. A former NWA United States champion and television champion, NWA tag team champion too. He terrorised the good guys, scared the little kids and did what he pleased, when he pleased. Professionally speaking, of course. We are one-on-one with the Russian nightmare, Nikita Koloff. It's a wonderful wrestling story, but the story of your life, its challenges, its unbelievable changes is far more than just time spent between the ropes of a professional wrestling ring, Nikita. It, it, it actually is, and, it, and it, it's just great to be with you, and I, I'm excited. I, I, I make, I'm doing a lot of podcasts in, in Australia, but I've yet to make the trip there, so I'm looking forward one day to coming down under, by the way. So I appreciate you letting me experience a little bit of it through your podcast and hear it. I love your guys' accent. That's amazing. See, we look at you guys as the ones having the accent <laughs> right, we think right. we talk well, normally. And my accent's <laughs> changed over the years. My English has improved dramatically, Andy. Hugely. And we, we are going to get on to that, but we'll go back to the very beginning. You weren't born Nikita Goholov, and as a young boy with three siblings, you were essentially raised by a single mother, and early life actually did have its challenges. It, it, it did. It did. Uh so for your listeners, you know, not born in Russia, even though I portrayed this, this Rush, the Russian nightmare, not born there, actually born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in, in what the official title would be Minneapolis Housing Authority, but what we affectionately call the projects or the ghettos of Minneapolis. So, you know, I wasn't born, you might say, with a silver spoon in my mouth, yep. very humble, humble beginnings. And yeah, I look back on that, though, and I, no regrets. I'm, I'm thankful. Uh, that that's where life began for me because that set the stage. Uh, it became motivation for me to to succeed in life. Always an athlete, even as a young man. And physically, you had the frame. Mentally, you had the aptitude. But as a professional wrestler, you had that it factor, that one intangible, no one can measure, no one can coach or learn. You had a presence. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. I, I there there was, and it, and it wasn't. Even though I had no training or background either in amateur wrestling or professional wrestling of any kind, uh, leading even up to the my my debut uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, in the Dorton Arena, I was an early adapter, and and I've always been, I feel, Andy, a, a coachable, a, a good student, yeah. and coachable. Uh, and whether it was American football, I know you guys got your version of football, <laughs> or professional wrestling. Man, I just, I, I was all in hook, line, and sinker, you know, ate it, slept it, and, and learned. And I, fortunately for wrestling, I learned it in a very rapid amount of time. 
What do you remember of match one, North Carolina? Does anything stand out? Well, fortunately, it was only 11 seconds long. That <laughs> that stands out. And uh, I actually had – a lot of people say, well, do you remember who you wrestled? I'm like, yeah, but it's not the guy you're going to think when I say his name. So I wrestled a guy named Bret Hart, but not the hitman. Bret Hart actually went on to the WWF as Barry Horowitz. Barry Horowitz. And I met Barry. I saw Barry about 25 years later at an autograph signing. I said, Barry, I've never asked you this question, but I'm curious. The night you went to the ring with me, did they inform you that I had never been in a wrestling ring before? And he goes, no, they kind of let that little tidbit of information out. You know, and I go, well, probably to your benefit, but at least you live to talk about it. Your early days in professional wrestling, and we'll try and keep this in context, this is at a time when wrestling hadn't allowed the audience backstage. To many, it was real. The Russian gimmick that you portrayed. Fans you saw you as the Russian bad guy. How far did you take that character outside the ring to protect the business? Well, I was. Uh, I rank up there, from what I understand, uh, as one who, who had protected the business pro- probably more than many, more than most. Uh, probably in the top five, from what I understand. I mean, all the way to the point of legally changing my name, learning how to sign my name in Russian, learning a few Russian words. I, I can count to 10 in Russian. I don't speak it fluid, but I can count to 10. Um, and then and took six months and spoke nowhere outside of, you know, nowhere in public yeah. while I developed the, the accent to really drive home the point that I really was from there. And because it was still the Cold War era, Andy, I, I even outside the ring, like I was not friendly to anybody. Like fans would try to get an autograph, and I just scowl at them, and and uh, you know they'd beg Ivan to get me to sign something, and Ivan would go, "You ask him, I'm not asking him," you know, and and I just I, I wouldn't do it. So the the tension built, and how much people loved to hate me back then. Did you ever break character, the sanctity of a dressing room with family, with friends, or were you Nikita Koloff 24-7? Well, virtually 24-7. Now, you had mentioned to me you're going to have a guy named Mark Merrow on your show sometime here coming, right? Ask him the story. So he just, he told me this story maybe, I don't know, three, four years ago. Again, we were at another autograph signing. He goes, I never told you this, and I think I'm remembering the story the way he told it to me. He goes, when I first came into the Carolinas, into the mid-Atlantic, I, he goes, for, first of all, I was, I, you scared me. You, you, you know, you said I had a presence, right? Yeah. He goes, you scared me, dude, and I'm, and I'm in the business. But we'd be in the dressing rooms, and you'd be talking with your accent. And I look at the, at the other guys, and I go, does he know we're smart to the business? Does he, does he not? You know? <laughs> but that's how far, and I'm... Andy, I never broke character anywhere in public, including, okay, ready for this? Including, and you may or may not know this little bit of history, when I screen tested for Ivan Drago on Rocky Four with Sylvester Stallone, I didn't break character off camera with Stallone. In character. Do you remember, if we wind back the clock, in regards to your transformation, the first time publicly you spoke to someone as yourself and not as a Russian and how big a difference that was because what you were going through was not career-changing. It was life-changing, life-altering. Well, 
as hard as this may be to believe. So I, so I, I walk away under my own terms in, in the end of tail end of 1992, mm. I head into 1993 and in my mind, now I'm old school trained. I'm trained to protect kayfabe, to protect the business at all costs. Andy, I, 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 I own my own health club. I worked there eight, 10 hours a day. I talked with that accent for three years post wrestling. Because I thought in my mind, how do you just wake up one day and start talking like I'm talking now to people I've been taught, you know, talking like that, yo, 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 yo. So, like, so I just slowly phased the accent out to where nobody ever really brought it up or said anything. But three years after I left wrestling. That is amazing. It was a wonderful time. It was a prosperous time in the business. An old proven formula, good guy versus bad guy. The good guy relies on the crowds cheering him. The bad guy relies on cheating. It worked for so many years and so well. It, it, it did. And, and again, especially at the Cold War, I mean, it was not difficult to get the fans to chant USA, USA, USA. You know, kind of when America was beat Russia in the 1980 Olympics, right? Mm. Um and so in the hockey game, but, um, and, and one thing that certainly, again, certainly helped was how I portrayed the persona, what I did to my opponents in, in the ring. And then uncle live alongside me. Um, I mean, we had, we would get an occasional death threat to the wrestling office. You know, if the Koloffs show up in Charleston, South Carolina, you know, we're going to kill them. And, and six different times, six starting with the very first ever Great American Bash uh, main event against Ric Flair. Uh, and by the way, I was only 13 months into the business at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling for the world heavyweight title. And, and that was the first time a fan got over the barricade in the ring, got his hands on me. Now it was the last time a fan got his hands on me, but there were five more occasions when they came over the barricade after me. That, sir, is genuine heat. Yes, yes, for real, for real. What are your fondest memories of a decade spent wrestling? Do any matches, do any programs stand out above the others? Well, probably the most talked about by far is the best of seven series against Magnum TA for the U.S. heavyweight title. I mean, the the way we built the story and then and projected the story the, the chemistry that Terry and I had with each other, um, I, you know, the our styles of working were very, very, what some would call stiff and we called snug, um, believable, mm. right? I've had, I've had fans tell me uh, over the years, they go, man, we used to look at, we'd walk out of the arena going, I don't know about any of those other matches, but that match against Nikita Magnum was real, you know? And so by far, for sure, Magnum TA, the best of seven. Uh, I mentioned the Great American Bash, the first ever against Nature Boy. So, uh, you know, certainly that match against Flair, and I went on to have a hundred or however many matches against him. But that very first one was special. Um, the when I made the turn and became and and for, and Dusty and I formed the superpowers with the American Dream, Dusty Road, the Tower of Power, two three to be power if you will, Gail. <laughs> Everybody, take <laughs> Dusty, and then one other one, uh, one other one, real quick. The very first ever War Games is another one that stands out. Okay, those memories stand out. A very different question. 
What are you most proud of in your wrestling career? Great question. I, I feel I feel confident to say every time I stepped into the ring, it was my goal to give the fans their money's worth. I'll say it that way. Give them 100% of my effort and, and to give them their money's worth, at, at least for my, you know, in my performance. Uh, and, and I, I feel I did that in, in every single match that I was involved in that I gave it my best. For many casual fans, WWF was, as it was at the time, was seen as the big show. Do you have disappointments or any regrets that you didn't get to spend time there and you didn't get to experience a WrestleMania moment? You know, I, I really, I really don't. Honestly, I mean, I, I tell people NWA for life. I mean, yep. predominantly my entire career was NWA, what later became WCW, right? Um, Jim Crockett Promotions gave me my break. I, I feel to this day, and in fact, Jim Jr. just passed. I feel, you know, uh, uh, there's a level of gratitude there for mm. giving me the opportunity that I had. Um, certainly looking back, I'm sure I'm certain I could have went there and, you know, cause they, they touted the big Hogan versus Koloff WrestleMania, you know, the, the magazines and everyone. And, and there's probably some guys I would have loved to have worked with, uh, up there. Uh, but that said, I'm, I'm very happy with the, the career I had. And, and so, you know, live with no regret that I didn't go, you know, get a taste of, of WWF. Drugs in sport and pro wrestling, recreational and prescribed. It's damaged families and sadly many lives have lost. Many of your friends and friends from way back to high school days are amongst those numbers, sadly. It's an underlying, it's a very sad story that involves so many people. It, it, it does. It's, it's uh, you know, I guess there's there's actually a couple programs out there. One called The Dark Side of Wrestling mm. and which illustrates kind of the unfortunate side of wrestling. And, and I was telling someone on another interview, but, but it, I mean, it's not just wrestling. I mean, when you look at professional sports on all levels, when you look at uh, rock and roll music, when you look at Hollywood and the movies, when you reach a, a, a pinnacle like that, a, a, that a top echelon like that, um, essentially everything's at your fingertips it's all there. I mean, the drugs, the alcohol, the women, I mean, truthfully, it's just all there. It's all, mm. it's all available. And I think sometimes Andy, that I, I, well, I feel confident to say for some of the guys it may not have started off intentional. Now your listeners need to understand the business was very different back then. Like to put it in perspective in 1986, I wrestled 454 matches. Wow. Do the math on that. <laughs> yeah. Do the math on that. Uh, there's only 365 days in a year. So our bodies, even though it's entertainment, our bodies took a beating. And so a, a lot of the guys would start, you know, start taking painkillers to try to numb the pain to go in the ring each night. And of course, unfortunately, you know, those painkillers might lead that to an addiction that then led to other drugs and different things. And all that led to what I feel is a, a uh, you know, untimely deaths for many of them. The positive is it's now 2021. We have mentoring, education. We have wellness programs uh, and probably a, a level of professionalism that is hopefully going to protect the athletes better than, you know, you guys were protected back in the day. Yeah, and, and, and that part of it, from what I understand, is quite different because 
like my understanding of WWE taping or something. I mean, they have doctors there on staff. They have medical personnel there on staff. They have big buffet, food bars. They have all kinds. We had none of that. Nothing. I mean, we were we were considered, for the record, independent contractors. We we had to insure ourselves, but we were considered high risk. So insurance was very costly, and so none of the guys carried it, like for real. Like, and if we got injured, you know, we just we just paid out of pocket and keep going. And and so that that's changed now. That's different, you know. McMahon's got a public company, right? Mm. So, so you know, when Ted Turner bought it, they still tried to implement that and keep that. But at one point, somebody said, "Look, you're a corporation. You can't, you can't treat these guys like this. You got to provide some kind of medical care for these guys." And so, yeah, it was pretty rough back in those days. Back in those days, the the late nineteen eighties, you would lose your wife of the time to illness, sadly. You mentioned earlier you would legally change your name to Nikita Koloff. Was it an easy or difficult decision? And I'm interested in the reaction of those closest to you when you told them, I'm legally changing my name. Well, I, I informed my family. I'm like, hey, here's what I'm doing. Now, the career was already rolling. I was yeah. probably, I want to say maybe maybe a year, year and a half, something like that. Uh, you know, all and of course, I'm already world tag champion, world six man. I've been wrestling Flair in a program for the world heavyweight title. So, so I'm you know I'm main event. I mean I'm, it's rolling. So I flew back to Minneapolis and where where we had not yet we had not yet went nationwide with our programming. So I thought well, I could go back home quietly, go into court, and and, and do it. And the judge was actually kind of funny. The judge was uh, it was a woman. She's like. Now, now, you know, sir, you could do an AKA like like the actor John Wayne. And she like, you know, says his name, Marion, whatever his name yeah. was. Right. Old time actor. And I'm like, ma'am, I, I appreciate that. But uh, no, ma'am, I just want to change. I don't I don't want an AKA. I just want to change. She goes, All right. I just want to make you aware of that. <laughs> and so, you know, I explained it to my family. I go, hey, here's what I'm doing. I need you. I need you to support this. So like anytime I'm back home here and we're out you know, eating or something, I'm going to be talking with an accent and you're going to be calling me Nikita. And they all respected that and, and kind of uh, honored that. And every now and then, you know, I would maybe run into an old high school chum or something. And, and go, I went to a drive through window one time and I pulled up and, and they recognized, you know, me from high school. So every now and then they might throw out uh, the birth name, but pretty much across the board, Nikita. It's post-retirement where your story changes, your life changes, and dramatically. Your transformation from the Russian nightmare into an English-speaking, inspiring and motivating leader, ambassador for positivity, through a connection to Christianity. It's a huge turnaround. It is. I had a woman, I was checking in for a flight one time, and uh, the, 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 the gate agent, she recognized me, and and she's like, oh my gosh, she's, you know, she's got all excited. She goes, now, now are you still wrestling? What are you doing? I said, well, I go, actually, I, I'm, I'm an evangelist, a minister, and I travel around the world, you know, telling people about Jesus. And she paused for a moment. And she goes, how, how's that happen? That's like, that, that's like polar opposite ends of the world. Like, how, how's that work? I go, well, I, I'm going to tell you, it's just proof that there is a God, right? So I go, uh, Outside of that, there's no reason for my transformation 
or this transition from pro wrestler to to worldwide evangelist. And yeah, and it's been and it's been a, just like many things in my life. I, I had no idea I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Uh, and from motivational speaking, like you're saying, to 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 ministry to book writing. I mean, I've written three books. I got you know two on my website. One's motivational. One's inspirational. I, I had no I had no clue when I was young I'd be doing doing any of this. Your positivity is infectious, uh, especially on social media. I get a huge kick out of it. You're not the first wrestler to immerse themselves in Christianity. In fact, there is a long list. Is there a connection there of some type that you can see? Well, I, I you know, I think of. Uh, unfortunately, I, I've had, I, I've had a role in 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 if you want to say leading some of those guys to the foot of the cross, or at, at least sharing some of my story, my testimony that maybe maybe planted some seeds in their heart. And uh, I'll give a couple quick examples. Ivan, yeah. Uncle Ivan. Um, I, I knew Ivan's life because I traveled with him, right? And and so I, it was just on my heart to to to. There were some revivals going on in town, and I it, re, it was on my heart to reach out and invite him. Well, I didn't know he was there that the night he came until he was standing at an altar surrendering his life to the Lord. And I went over and hugged his neck, got teary eyed, you know. And and here's the deal. It was the it was the real deal. I mean, he went from and I and I know he's on record of saying this, so I'm not saying anything he wouldn't be okay with. He that night he was set free from drug addiction, alcohol, tobacco, cussing. I mean, you complete change of life. Went on to become an ordained minister, mm. and uh, and as I invited him, another real quick story. Sting, Sting. I corralled him one night at a show in Charlotte, North Carolina. And just was, I like to say I was vomiting Jesus all over, but I was so excited. I'm like, ah, Jesus, Jesus, right? Well, all that to say, three years later, I, I heard he gave his life to the Lord. What I come to find out is part of his own story was what you saw in Sting on TV was different from life behind the scenes. Hmm. Life was a train wreck behind the scenes. Even though he had 400 companies making his likeness, his life was unraveling and falling apart. And, and what I've come to realize is many of these guys get to a place in life that they're like, wait a minute, I reached the pinnacle of success, but something's still missing in my life. I'm still, I'm, I'm successful, but I'm, I'm unfulfilled. I'm not happy. And, and that's where um, I believe for, for a number of them, the door opened up, their eyes were open to hear, Here's what will bring you true fulfillment, and th- and that's led to their surrendering their life. Colo for Christ Ministries has had a significant impact on the lives of many. Your Man Up conferences are extremely well-received across the country, as is your Man Up podcast. What's your message, Nikita? Well, it, it's uh, I feel like, Andy, that over the last and – I, and I don't know how it is in Australia. I, I'll just like for America, right, is that, that I, f- I feel like personally that men – in particular, have been emasculated over the last couple of decades, almost, if you will, probably not, probably not correct, is it, but but feminized in, in in a sense, and and so our message, and by the way, who partners with me on this is a guy named Lex Luger, the total package. Um, another guy, 
I have had the privilege of, of mentoring over the last number of years. In fact, in 2015, he lived with me for about 10 months. And that's what birthed the whole idea of a man up conference. Wow. And our goal, yeah, our goal, uh, our goal when, when we send men home, he and I take our, our many years combined experience in health and wellness and, and, and developing a championship mentality and of course, growing in our in our spiritual journeys, we want to send men home better equipped to to honestly be godly men, godly husbands, godly fathers, love their families well, and just just make an impression, a, a positive impact out in the marketplace. That's our goal when men come to the man camp. Just nine years as a professional wrestler, not a long time. Yet the footprint you left on the business, that will last a lifetime. It has been a pleasure. Andy, thank you. And I just encourage, you know, all your listeners to, you know, they check out the podcast, go check out go, the website's koloff.net, koloff.net. And they can see, you know, my books are referenced and, and there's, a, there's a link to the podcast. There's a link to the man camp. All that's available at koloff.net. Follow me on social media. I appreciate you having me on your show, man. We hope you enjoyed this episode of One on One on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. This series drops every weekend. Make sure you come back soon, legends.